Who do you imitate? We've all got those people in life that we look up to that we want to be just like them. I remember when I was a kid, Felix Potvin was the goalie of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hands down, he had the best uh, helmet, the best armadillo, the best pads in, in the league. Felix Potvin was, uh, he was awesome. And I, every time we'd play road hockey as a kid, I'd settle in the net and I would follow the exact same routine that Felix did. First, he would cross, he'd sign the cross on his chest and then he'd tap left post, right post, left pad, right pad, and then he'd settle in. And every time I played road hockey, did the same thing. Sign the cross, left post, right post, left pad, right pad. I wanted to be just like Felix Potvin. I also remember a time in grade two. I was struggling to, to make friends at that time as I, as I look back. And there was this one fellow that I started hanging around with and he wasn't the best influence on me. He was a bit of a bully and, and frequently causing, causing trouble, but, but he welcomed me. And so I started hanging around and, and following him. And, and uh, he had a way of going about his, his business where he, he uh, always had his shoelaces untied and he walked with a pretty uh, significant saunter and uh, very exaggerated. And also he spit. He was always spitting on the ground wherever he went. And I wanted to fit in with him. I wanted to be cool like this fellow. And so I did the same and uh, did that for a number of days until I, I can remember it. Clear as day in my mind, I was walking out to the barn with my dad and he noticed me sauntering. He noticed my shoes untied. He noticed me spitting multiple times as we, uh, as we walked. And he said, hold on, what's, what's going on here? And it opened up the door for a, a conversation about the influences in my life and the people whom I chose to imitate. We all have people that we want to be like, people that we model our lives after. As a pastor, there's a number of other pastors that I watch closely. I really look up to them. I want to lead. I want to serve. I want to be wise. I want to be loving just like they do. I want to I want to guide a church like they do. So I, I pay close attention to how they conduct themselves, to the decisions that they make. And in part, I imitate the leadership of these other pastors. I'm sure for whoever you are, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether as a mom or as a dad, there are people that you look up to who you model your life after, who you imitate. We're wired to imitate those whom we look up to. But who are you ultimately going to imitate? Who more than anyone else are you going to model your life after? Wouldn't it make sense to pick the wisest, most loving, most caring, most knowledgeable person that you know? And that's what our text calls us to today. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Other translations, rather than saying, follow God's example, they say, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So who will I model my life after? Well, the Apostle Paul here, he calls us, he says, imitate God. And doesn't that kind of make sense? For no one is more perfectly loving than God. Everybody else falls short. Felix Potvin was a great goalie, but he could not lead the Leafs to the Stanley Cup, much to my dismay as a, as a youngster. And so the cup route continues. I remember one of my mentors in, uh, in Bible college, and I, I still look up to him a, a ton, but I remember discovering uh, just really like I wanted to be like this fellow in, in every facet of life, but then discovering eventually that because he poured himself so much into ministry with others, his family at home suffered and his children felt neglected. 
Every model that we have is imperfect and will disappoint us in some way at some time. But God doesn't. God is the perfect model. And so who better to imitate than God who gave his life up for us? Think about it. Chapter 5 verse 2 says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus is the perfect model because he has loved others perfectly. When humanity, when you, when I, when all of the people throughout the history of the earth, when we were headed toward destruction because of our sin, Jesus stepped in front and he said, hold on, I'm not going to let you bear the weight of this destruction. I'm not going to let you head toward death. I'm going to step in on your behalf. I'll take the hit for you. And so he forgave us. He laid down his life as a perfect gift from God, as God, on our behalf. All the things that I do in life, all that I want to be, I want to be like that. I want to be like God in this regard. Someone who is willing to lay down my life for the sake of others. So that others around me, so my kids, so my friends, so my family members can experience the good life. That's the person I want to be. I want to be defined by perfect love for others. I want to play a role in guiding people away from pain and destruction just as Jesus did for us. Would that not be how you want to live your life and be described as someone who gives up your life to love other people? So who better to imitate than the God who laid down his life for us? Now, as a parent, I do a lot of instructing. Some days, the word might be better described as harping constantly on my kid's case. Clean up your milk mess. Don't hit your brother. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Please sit on your rear end at the table. And I could go on and on and on with all of the instructions, all of the words of advice, the words of counsel, the correction that I dish out hour after hour after hour as a parent with my kids. It's a part of our role. We want to instruct our kids to live well. And and whether you have your own kids or whether you're an uncle, an aunt, or, or just a friend with little kids, a guardian, We all have this role, this invitation, this responsibility to instruct them toward the good life. But sometimes, as I'm in the midst of this, I have to stop and I ask myself, well, am I just harping on them? Are they going to grow weary and feel like no matter what they do, they can't please me because I'm constantly offering instruction? I worry about that sometimes. I imagine that some of you worry about that as well. I don't want them to feel like I'm just constantly harping on them. And so I try to make sure that at the same time, and even more so, that I'm constantly encouraging my kids. I want them to know that I love them so, so much. And for that to be the experience that envelops my instruction. Even on the days when they need five times out or have some significant privileges taken away or whatever other matter of discipline, I want them to always know that I love them. And so that's why I try to constantly encourage my kids, even as I instruct them. I want to state the things that they're really good at. Say, hey, I noticed that you did this. Thank you so much. Or, hey, I think God's made you especially good or skilled at that. It's why I give them hugs and kisses. It's why I tell them that I love them verbally. I say, hey, I'm proud of you guys because I want them to know that I love them 
first and foremost unconditionally. Their behavior isn't going to change that even as I offer instruction. And I think that this is also God's heart for us. Actually, I I know because God has said that in the scriptures. God has instruction for us to live well. And we're looking at that today. How can we become better people? How can we look like God? But we need to remember that rather than it being burdensome or trying to live so that we can make God like us better, God already likes us. It doesn't matter. You could royally screw up today or tomorrow. You could be a horrible person all of next week and God's love for you is not going to change. The same as the way I feel about my kids. And Paul reminds us of this. We've been, we've been working through the book of Ephesians and we have to remember that as we look at these instructions of you should do this and you should not do this. Remember, we spent a whole bunch of time where God said, I love you. Where God said, I have saved you by grace. It's not of works. It's nothing that you can do. It says that in Ephesians 2. Not by works. You, you can't earn this. It's not by following my instructions, better or worse, that you receive or don't receive salvation. It's through your trust. It's through your faith. All you got to do is receive it. But now that you've received this faith, here is how I want you to live. This is what God is saying. And, and it actually, in our text, it points to that because in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Dearly loved children. Paul calls the people who receive this, Dearly loved children. Right after, he says, follow God's example. And he says, dearly loved children, right before he tells them to walk in God's way of love. It's not, do all of this good stuff so that I will love you, so that you'll be dearly loved. It's, you are already dearly loved. So hear that. Hear that as you receive these words. You are dearly loved by God. And so now, with that reality, with the freedom and the hope that that brings, we can strive to grow in living well. Who better to imitate than a God who gave up his life for us? And so we can imitate God because we're loved, not so that we will be loved. So what does God's life look like? What is this life that we're supposed to imitate? Well, quite simply, it's a life that's devoted to others, as I've already highlighted And if you look at the stuff that Paul lists in our text today, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why do we lie? We lie because we want to protect ourselves. We lie because we want to honor ourselves. We lie because it's about us and what we can accomplish. It's about our safety. But when we speak truth, we put ourselves out there and we say, I'm going to love you and your understanding and your experience more than my own. Verse 26 goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. This is an, this is an invitation that when we're angry, direct it toward positive outcomes rather than allowing it to simmer, to build up, and to lash out in destructive ways. Satan wants to destroy you, and there's no better way that he wants to do it than to get that foothold in your life, to get that access to you by directing your anger toward destructive means. This is a decision to say, I'm going to live for the good of others rather than what might feel best for me. Verse 28, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. 
but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Why might we steal? Well, simply put, is because we want more for ourselves. And, and, and when you think of stealing, you might think of robbing a bank or you might think of grabbing a, a chocolate bar or a sweet purse from a, from a store. But there's a lot of other ways in which we can steal, whether it's cheating on our taxes, whether it's overcharging somebody for the work that you did, or maybe you have bills that have gone unpaid. That's stealing. That's theft. And God calls us here, instead of theft, to work hard with our hands. Work is a gift from God. It reflects God's glory. It reflects what God's created us for. And the reason we work instead of stealing is so that, and it directs it here, so that we can give to others who do not have. God is calling us to generosity, to giving up our own lives for the good of other people, rather than hoarding wealth for ourselves, from theft to generosity. And then we move along and we look at verse 29. It says, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Dispurging comments, cutting other people up. And, and one of the ways in which it's actually the most common that we think is, is kind of funny or not a big deal tends to be sarcasm. Is that something that you need to give up that actually isn't benefiting or building people up. And, and, and so instead of using your words in a way that puts other people down and elevates yourself, what does it look like to encourage others? How can you be a person of encouragement, blessing those around you with your words, making their life better? How will you lay down what will build up you so that laying down yourself so that you can care for and love those around you? Verses 30 to 31 go on to say, Sorry, 31 to 32, they go on to say, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, that's hatred. And then it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. This is a shift away from serving myself, away from serving yourself, to serving other people. Because that's exactly what God did. He was... On the throne, in glory, the creator of the heavens and the earth, ultimate power, ultimate glory. And he said, I'm going to step down from this. I'm going to be obedient to God, even to the point of death. And so he died for us. It's the ultimate example of laying down one's life for others. And this is how we're called to live. If we're going to imitate God, we live a life for others. Who better to imitate than a God who gave up his life for us? So, This is what the good life looks like. Living a life that lays down ourselves for others. Could you imagine if if people actually lived this way in Zurich or in Bayfield or in Brucefield or in Grand Bend or in Exeter or in Park Hill or wherever you're from? Can you imagine what that would look like? It, It would be heaven on earth if everybody was just going around saying, how can I make your life, your day, your family in a better spot than trying to serve myself Be imitators of God because you are dearly loved. Who better to imitate than a God who gave his life up for us? So what what, what does this look like for you? It's always easy to listen to a message and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Good advice. And to walk away and to not implement it. We want not only to be hearers of the word, but to be doers. And so I ask you that question. What does this look like for you? 
in a time of stress, and no doubt we have been in a time of stress these last couple of months, it's easy to circle the wagons. Yes, we need to care for ourselves, but how do we do that? That enables us and puts us in a good place so that we can care for others. God is calling us into a deeper, richer life, imitating Him, laying down our lives for those around us. So what is one particular step you're going to take this week toward imitating God and giving yourself up for others? I'll give you a moment to think about that. One of the ways that I feel that God is is calling me to do this is actually in the coming weeks, you know, now we can get together and we can meet around campfires or on decks or or out at the beach. We can be together with the restrictions, but we can be with others now, socially distant, all of that. It would be easy to meet only with my closest friends, those whom being with will, will be full of joy and ease of relationship. And God is actually calling me and saying, yeah, of course, but what about some of those Folks you know who need more support. What does it look like to invite them over for a campfire, to spend time with them so you can build into them and invest them? That being one way um, where the conversation might not flow as easily or there might not be as as much laughter. There's not as much shared experience to talk about. What does it look like to lay down what might be easiest and nicest for the good of others around you? And so that's just one way that I feel God calling me to live this out. Who better to imitate than a God who gave up his life for us. Let's pray together. God, we honor you. We lift you high. You've loved us so well. You created all things. You really didn't need to. You really didn't need to die for us. But you did. Thank you for your love. Help us, God. Fill us with your spirit so that we could love well in similar fashion. God, I pray that you would tear down the idols in our lives of things we trust in rather than, your, than, than you that keep us from living in this way. Guide us in this. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see heaven on earth in Zurich and Grand Bend and Brucefield and Exeter and Park Hill and Bayfield, everywhere, God. We want to see heaven on earth, so help us to live in this way. We want to be imitators of you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, thanks again for joining us for our KZMC weekend teaching. As always, this is just the first half of our worship as a faith community. So I invite you that if you've watched this teaching, I invite you to engage, whether it's in person Sunday morning with us here at the church building. If you're not sure when to show up, just show up. 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, or 11 o'clock. We've got health health, uh, guidelines in place to keep everyone safe. Or if you're not comfortable with meeting in person yet, we, we honor you, we bless you, we respect that. We invite you to gather with us on Zoom at 11 o'clock just to connect, to pray together, to hear from one another, to share what God's saying. God has called us to be in community with each other. And so I invite you into that second part of our worship this weekend. Okay, may God be with you. God's at work in ways we see, ways we don't see. He is guiding our steps, so we have a lot to be hopeful about. Take care.